0: Welcome to Mischief Makers, your one-stop shop for all things mischief. Join your host, Dave Hearn, as he finds out what makes mischief, well, mischief.
2: Hello and welcome to another episode of Mischief Makers. I'm Charlie Russell and today I have the honour and pleasure of interviewing the disgustingly talented Ishani Perrin panayagam
1: Hello, Hello. Ashani. Hello.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So for those of you that don't know, this is a podcast for people to get to know the members of Mischief and just generally find out interesting things about some very interesting people. So, Ishani, the first section of this interview is called the Getting to Know You section. Um, Now, it's become a bit of a thing where we don't actually have jingles, but instead we ask our guests to improvise some, and I know you can do that. You're both (laughs) an improviser and musical, Ishani. So I would like you to improvise a jingle for the Getting to Know
1: You section. Are you ready? Yes. Off you go. Great. Getting to know you, who? Getting to know you. Let's see who you are. Getting to know you. Oh, that's lovely. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Annie. That's very kind.
2: (laughs) I really enjoyed that. That's much better than mine. I think I went very low when I was interviewed. Very Uh, low, too low. Um. Now, Shani, I am very excited (laughs) to interview you today. This is so exciting. Yeah, Um, thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, of course we're interviewing you. Um, we first met back in 2018, I think it was, but it feels, that feels like not long and go. No, but...
1: it feels like longer than that.
2: Yeah, like I feel like I've known you longer than that, which in a nice way. Yes.
1: <laughs> and uh,
2: <laughs> I think we were rehearsing for the tour of Mischief Movie Night, weren't we? Um, I particularly
1: remember getting to know you in Leicester. We had a lovely time. A yeah, moment. we did. Yeah, I think those weeks were quite intense, weren't they? And they were quite sort of mm. um they were quite intimate in that they were yeah, you were all everyone was flung together and uh yeah, made to make up stuff and it all turned out to be wonderful, so it just felt yeah, it was wonderful. We had a lovely time. Really. I
2: I had a really good time on that tour. It was, it was very special. And you're right, like we did Sort of, it was really intense and really lovely, wasn't it? Um, mm. And you're an incredible person, obviously. Yes. But I want the listeners, our Mischief fans, to get to know you. So I'm going to ask you a few questions. So Ishani, tell us, where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Ealing in West London. And uh, I stayed in the in the same house, actually, for the whole first 18 years of my life. So wow. very boring, very boring story. That's, that's where I grew up.
2: Well, that's quite interesting to me. I think I lived in about five houses before I was Did 18. You? So to me, I find that a very interesting fact.
1: Ah, yeah, I suppose. So before before I was born, um, mm. my parents and my sister moved around a lot because of parents' work, just within the UK, although having come from mm. Sri Lanka in the first place. Um, so I guess I noticed the stark contrast of... Um, sort of them saying, "Oh, when we were in this house or that house," um, and so my timeline is very different. And there's it's sort of mm. a big block of primary color, which is cool. It was a lovely place to grow up, uh, and I was a nerd. I quite loved school. Um, so, oh, I was
2: going to say, "Did you go?
1: Where did you go to school, and how did you find it?" But clearly, you loved it. <laughs> I did love it. Um, so, yeah, I just went to a, a primary school that was actually a bit of a way away. So, I didn't. Um, I mean, a bit of a way away in terms of, like, two miles rather than walking up the road. Um, <laughs> and it it sort of meant I didn't have that childhood where I popped around to people's houses, which I believe mm. other people did. Um, but I really enjoyed <laughs> school itself. Uh, I enjoyed... All the learning, I suppose, uh, but also football. I was really into football, mostly because I was quite really? competitive. Yeah, but it was mostly because I was competitive so, and fearless. So I just used <laughs> to get the ball and run at people and they would move. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's a great tactic. I clearly did
2: not employ that enough.
1: Yeah. Uh, but, that was amazing. Well, it, it translated when I went to high school, it translated really briefly to hockey until I just got too small and i just bounce off people. <laughs> <laughs> when well, this else is it, threw, because... and that was the end.
2: Well, yeah, because now you know. If you're listening to this, you won't know, but Ishani is um is quite a petite lady, quite small. <laughs> yeah, really. yeah. How tall? I, are I, I, five foot two. Oh, I mean, you're not like you know. No, I don't want to a... be disparaging about anyone who's smaller than
1: five <laughs> foot two, but that got... in my
2: household is very normal.
1: Mm, I've got a, um, a very short upper body, so I look shorter than I am as well. When I sit down, I vanish, essentially. But I, Indeed, yeah, I, when
2: you play the piano. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's not... Um, I, I would like to think I'm not much of a diva, but whenever I get to a new piano, uh, piano still height's really important to me because I need to be able to reach the keys. And if I'm music directing, see over the top. So I come across oh, as a indeed. diva of like, can I have a cushion, please? Because it <laughs> just isn't the right height. Um, and the thing is, because my hands are really small, um, if my arms aren't level, I can't stretch as far as I need to be able to for like most piano music. Um, so if my wrists at a funny angle, my hands end up even smaller than they are. Wow. this is fascinating so are you sure
2: (laughs) yeah this is really fascinating to me so this leads me into my next question um and uh, you know I I wrote on twitter you know you're you're a pianist amongst many things but a classical pianist so what point did you get into music and the piano well
1: again it's it was quite a a long shape rather than I didn't have one of those moments of ting yes now this definitely Mm. um It started off, so I started playing the piano when I was really little and um, apparently I had this toy piano that I just wouldn't put down and I was just playing Mm. Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star over and over again really badly. Uh, My parents who weren't musicians were just sort of looking at it and listening to it going, "Uh, I I think she's going to do that over and over again. Um, We should probably get her to some lessons before she can't undo all the bad things she's doing um so I started going to <laughs> lessons when I was reasonably little um and because because I really enjoyed it I it's I suppose it started off a being not a competitive thing but I really enjoyed being able to play loud and fast I just mm. loved being able to play loud and fast which I guess when I hit teen years it became it gradually became something more meaningful of mm. I liked being able to play loud and fast and angsty, and then it became slow and angsty. And then it became, oh, I think music might be mm. really important to me. Um so I think I always mm. the piano was always at the core of my life somehow, but it didn't shift into being something more meaningful until maybe actually when I was kind of thirteen, fourteen. And then I had a piano teacher that bas- that said to me, I mean, you know you're not going to be a pianist, right? You know you're not good enough. Um, and <gasps> I sort of went, oh, and that totally destroyed me for a couple of years. And I suppose probably through that misery was the moment where I went, this is what I want to do, but it was probably in the past tense of this is what I wanted to do. And this
2: person stopped me and now I'm going to not let them stop me anymore.
1: Oh, I wish it was that. It was more, oh, I didn't realise I really wanted to do it. Although I did realise it was more like, oh, I wish I was good enough to do that thing. It's it's sadly, it's a more sad tale. I, I wonder, looking Gosh. back, whether she was trying to put a fire up me to make me go, I can do it. Mm. But actually I went, oh, if you say I'm terrible, then I suppose I'm terrible. Um, I mean, that is a risky
2: game with children to be like, you're rubbish, because I think most kids just go, oh, okay, I'm rubbish. Like, it's only occasionally does it work, that sort of um, reverse psychology thing. Um, Yeah. But you realised you wanted to do it, and then you went and trained?
1: Yeah. So I went to music college, um, and yeah, I studied at two different places, one for undergraduate and one for postgraduate. Um, and so I, yeah, I did four years at the Royal College of Music and then three years at the Guildhall, uh, and my last year, wow. uh, uh, my head of music said to me, uh, so I was basically, I'd meant to stay for one year every time for postgrad, but they had kept saying, um, we don't think you should leave yet, stay. We don't think you're, you've got what, everything you need out of this yet. So, uh, they, uh, suggested I stay and I stayed and my last year they said we think you might work quite well playing with other people stay and do the accompanist course which I did and that that I suppose that was the moment of ha ah, of uh, <laughs> ah this is what I'm supposed to do um because actually despite me saying when I was little all this business about loud and fast I'm not actually that built to play loud and fast but I think I probably am built to listen and respond. Mm. So actually it was quite a lot of training before I realised the thing or the kind of area I was supposed to be uh, creating in. Mm.
2: Do you think, I mean, when you those teachers were saying stay and do another year, that wasn't, was that in the same vein? as that piano teacher you had or was it in a much more supportive way?
1: Um, It was... It was supportive in quite a roundabout way. It was it it was maybe a little bit um um oh after my final exam oh yeah you should probably stay and do this more um <laughs> so it was kind of a mixed mm. bag um but I mean I really I I suppose it's a case of that's a similar type of thing but at a different time so by the time I was at mm. in my postgrad I knew exactly what I wanted to achieve I knew where my own flaws were I suppose having already mm. been broken by this previous person um so in that sense uh you know classic thing where no one could uh whip me harder than I could whip myself so actually those kinds of comments felt like felt like a triumph of like right Uh, underdog gets a point Mm. (laughs) Um, how interesting that you had
2: that experience so young and how it's informed your trajectory and because we you know you hear stories all the time of sort of um oh this genius pianist at the age of three was playing Mozart and they just went to this school and everything was easy and everything and all teachers just thought they were amazing and off they go and it and that's great but it's not very fun for everyone else necessarily to listen to (laughs) but actually your story is quite inspiring isn't it because you were told you weren't good enough and yet you went to incredible music colleges then you were not necessarily understood initially or maybe you were slightly dismissed uh, for a while and and yet you're you've sort of not had like basically you've not had like some fairy tale journey no and yet def- you're doing
1: no. amazingly
2: well and you get so much from it
1: thank you yeah i suppose um i feel like there's an element of marmite going on in my playing in that, I still think that um, there are people who really rate it, which I'm very grateful for, and some people who will forever think, "Why? Why is she still? <laughs> Why is she still around playing to people? What? What is that?" Because uh, I think it's quite um, uh, fiery and honest playing, and it can be fallible. I'm definitely not a perfect pianist, um, which I guess it, yeah. I don't I don't know I sure think... I mean who who really hates fiery and honest
2: playing god yeah that's rubbish. <laughs> some
1: people really like write notes and I can't promise you those <laughs> <laughs> But to be honest like I wouldn't even notice
2: that's the thing I suppose you're talking about people in the world and in the business of music and I get that's a whole nother level but actually even working with musical people like people in mischief or in showstopper or musicals um you know we're just like that's that's great that's great let alone sort of somebody who doesn't even do this kind of artsy thing for a living you're incredible
1: thank you I I will will (laughs) take take that (laughs)
2: Well, I'm, I, was, I wasn't sure whether I was going to mention this, but um, the listeners won't know, but we recently worked together on a non-mischief thing. I oh. know. Scandal. I know, we're so scandalous. <laughs> uh, but we worked together on the R&D of a new play by Callum Finley called Fanny, which is directed by katie Ann McDonough, McDonough, excuse me, katie Ann, and uh, produced by Rebecca Gwither. And... It's about Fanny Mendelssohn and the fact that she is Felix Mendelssohn's brother, or was Felix Mendelssohn's brother, and felt that she should have played and, and didn't get the opportunity. So I couldn't think of anyone better, you know, to play what? A woman playing f-
1: honestly with fire and passion. <laughs> That's what you need for a story like that. I, I absolutely loved being involved in that. And I hope there's more. Um, yeah, this. Sort of somehow, she's such an inspirational. That story is in that somehow unsquashable, uh, and somehow Mm. what I found really interesting about her was um, the fact that everyone around her really did acknowledge her talent. People knew that people knew. Really, no one was saying you're terrible at the piano or you're a terrible composer at any point. They were just saying, Mm. nah, you're a woman," Um, which I found all of that really. Interesting and yeah, very inspiring that she was just you, you couldn't ever quite get rid of her, she was always just kicking around being brilliant. <laughs> what, yeah, which inspiring isn't
2: it? Do you think, yeah, do you think now that women like I know this is one of those annoying questions, but I mean, it's not all roses now for women in music and
1: composing and that no. world, is it? No, um. <laughs> It's a messy time where I think people are, some people are trying to address that, but no, I mean, classical music um, in particular, is that true? No. Um, I think all through music, it has always been, um, or it has been for a long time, uh, pass the work on to to the nearest person you know. And because all the men are, sort of had maybe how many years ago been in the pubs while the women were at home they all pass on work to Mm. each other so Mm. um apart from all the subconscious bias stuff it's just a practical thing of I can vouch for so-and-so because I've heard them play and they seem like a decent person um so Mm. it's just sort of about circles of contacts and it is getting much better in the sense that um the more women you get involved um the more that changes because all those people have different networks of people. And it's amazing Mm. how, yes, with some people, we seem to not know um, anyone that's outside of the pool, this common pool of people, but then other people you meet and we'll both be fully working freelance musicians and know none of the same people somehow because we've just been working in different groups. So it's been amazing how... Um, When people have got me involved and asked me to sort of bring a team together, that it's just been a group of people that they haven't known. And yet I've worked with quite a lot. Um, So I find that quite interesting because it's so it is so much about networking. But um, yeah, I mean, in classical music, there is a a problem with the sort of uh, the way genius is honoured and the way sort of that tortured male character is bowed mm-hmm. down to um in a way mm. in the way that women are deemed hysterical. If you get a loopy man, they must be artistic. Um, and so there are certain tropes that probably make people think, um, oh yeah, definitely uh, that person's got talent and oh they seem like a bit of a mess and chaotic and probably couldn't sit still in an orchestra um i mean i I've, I've, i mean i've got a couple of i've got so many stories but um the one that springs to mind is i found this out really recently uh through a particular zoom chat with someone uh i hadn't met before who was saying that she so she is uh maybe a, just in her 30s a black woman and she said that when she was at school she started the piano when she was 16 and showed real talent uh but her teacher had said uh you've started too late this career is not for you and there's someone who was in my year at the Royal College who started the piano at sort of 15 um, and showed loads of talent um, and was brilliant and got a full scholarship to Royal College because of that short timeline of this person must be really something special which you know he he showed all those traits but it's interesting how the the responses to those two different characters Mm.
2: yeah and I'm sure um as well and I cannot speak from any experience but I'm sure there must be another layer to that if you aren't a white woman as well
1: yeah I would say so and yeah. there's all there's all kinds of things of uh, for, for what reason that comment might have been said in the you could go into music and you'll be miserable or i've i've got no idea uh, i don't know who said it but um yeah i mean there have been i've i've known of sort of people trying to reform bits of the music industry and sort of rather than talking about bringing the very adept black musicians in classical music to the fore have talked about sort of maybe branching out into hip hop rather than just really, yeah, which is just so missing the point. Um, so there yeah. are there are lots of problems, uh, and obviously all the, the race ones are right at the front at the moment, which is great. But, yeah, in terms of gender, it's that same thing of, it's exactly the, the equivalent of colour blindness, where people are so busy saying that it's not a problem, it's just about who's best, that it sort of shuts down the conversation about gender before it's even started.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oh no, it's what... it's all a meritocracy. It's all a meritocracy, and you're like, cool, but it, but it, but can we talk about it?
1: <laughs> oh my we know god, that that's I what saw... everyone
2: intends. But
1: <laughs> yes, I saw. Um, I probably shouldn't be citing this. Uh, I w- I won't say who it was, but there was a blog post by okay. someone who actually I don't know. Um, who said um there was a time? Uh, so it was the the premise was that equity is ruining the arts. Um, and that there was a time when the muse could visit anyone, and I just thought that's such a privileged thing to say of, Mm. you know, of gender, race, um, the disabled community, um, the LGBTQ plus community having to deal with all sorts, you know, it's if you're thinking of some women in a council house, obviously, yeah, class poverty all of those things come into it in a council house with three children uh fighting to keep two jobs that is that really is the muse that able to come and visit there it's yeah yeah does she it, have it the is- same
2: uh opportunity for the muse to visit her well I quite. think it's uh it's it's interesting as well like it, it because I think people don't realize if um you don't my friend told me this really interesting analogy about privilege, uh, that was explained to him. And he, he found it really useful. He was like, it's like you're in a queue for the shops, right? Like maybe one of those COVID queues and you're mm. a few people back and you think, oh gosh, I've got ages to wait, but you'd not taken the moment to look behind you and go, oh yeah, yeah, actually there's someone who's even further back in the queue than me. So I'm uh i think oh the muse should should be able to just visit everyone but what i'm not also admitting and sort of confronting is the fact that that guy's an hour behind me yeah before he even gets to where i am and then he what well, then the muse might be, like it's just there if are different if he's not too tired not and weeping
1: field.
2: yeah yeah if he's not had to actually sacrifice all the practice in order to do a load of work like and get money like or whatever the reason it's just yeah it's a really interesting thing and i think that's what we've got to remember that like i'm definitely obviously an extremely privileged person like the ability to work in the arts itself is generally for most people a privilege and lots of people have don't realize like maybe that they've had help where they didn't think that it was help but it's just because they yeah. don't know that other people don't get it
1: yeah I'm and not explaining I think, myself very well. <laughs> no, you absolutely are, and I wonder. I love that um, that thing with the the race where they ask people standing on a starting line take a step forward if you've never had to lend money to your family. Have you seen this?
2: Yeah, take a step it's- forward if your parents are still together.
1: Yeah, um, take a
2: step forward if yeah.
1: Uh, and they, yeah, they'll add more and more of those things, uh, and then they start the race. And it's also really interesting to see who's left behind, because it it mm. does add in a race thing, and there's often a like a a gender thing as well. Um, but mm. i I think the only thing I would change, if it what wouldn't be damaging, because they do that 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 particular video is using children, um, would be to get those people to take a step backwards because I think those people who are privileged feel like they're starting on the starting line yeah Um, and I think that's what people that's why there is this argument of but I've had to work for everything in my life and yes you have but you haven't been at a disadvantage it's not that you've been given stuff
2: it's Um, that you've not had stuff taken away yeah mm. very interesting um Before we move on, I do want to also ask you about...
1: uh, You've recently been on BBC Radio 3? I have. have. Um, So I was given a three-part series. Uh, I was given free reign. It was awesome. Uh, So uh, three episodes called Sounds Connected, uh, where I pick five pieces and I link them up however I like. So actually... Uh, It ends up as five pieces, but I start from one, I listen to it, read about it, um, or use my knowledge about it, and then follow one of those uh, thought paths, and then find myself at a new piece, uh, and carry on to get myself from one of five to five of five. So I've done that three times. Yeah, so it's been on the last two Sundays, and then there's another one this coming Sunday. Wow, and you'll be able to listen again, will you? Yes. Yeah, they're all on BBC Sounds uh, to listen again, which, um, yeah, which I think is quite good because I'm at quite a niche slot, shall we say, uh, at midnight <clears> on uh, Monday morning, essentially. <laughs> so Sunday nights. <laughs> uh, so yes, it's uh, it's quite a niche slot. And uh, yeah, I've been staying up to have a listen because I actually don't hear the final edit before it goes out. So that's quite interesting oh! to hear.
2: Yeah, scary. yeah that's quite scary <laughs>
1: um, <laughs> what an achievement so like, that's incredible thank you I've really I've really loved doing it and uh because I they asked me to record a pilot because they slightly uh, uh I was recommended I think but they didn't know me the people who I was dealing hmm. with didn't know me so they asked me to record a pilot to show some level of proficiency I think which is fair enough <laughs> um and Essentially, they they gave it the thumbs up, which was really freeing in the sense that by that, that means that they know what they're asking for. Um, mm. So I'd been quite, uh, yeah, again, quite honest and um, I hadn't scripted it at all. So I just made notes and spoken off it. So it's quite improvised rather than reading a script. Um, so wow. they knew what they were going to get. So it was quite nice to have that approval before going ahead of, oh, you like what I'm doing. Great, here's more of that. But maybe a bit wilder.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but- there you go. You see, a thumbs up clearly can be extremely helpful.
1: <laughs> yeah. Rather than
2: a thumbs down.
1: Yes, I agree. What? I think um, I'm, de- I'm a person, yeah, I definitely respond well to thumbs up. I respond well to the sense that Uh, Of I know you can do better I don't I don't Mm -hmm. think I do well with um you're terrible four stop it's uh, yeah there are some times where sort of the revenge bit of me kicks in and I may go I'll show you but actually if I'm in a setting where um where I don't get to walk off and go I'll show you and slam the door behind me um where it's kind of a constant setting of working with someone who thinks uh, I'm not up to much, which thankfully doesn't happen very often. Um, that I find very tiring. But yeah, a thumbs up and a more of the same, or uh, we think you can achieve that level up there. Go for that. I've responded quite well to that. Me too. Yeah. And
2: I think a lot of people do. I am with yeah. you on that one. All oh, right. Just don't be horrible so we are going to move on. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're so right don't be horrible to people what a profound statement <laughs> <laughs> like, like it's crazy that we have to say that but yes. we do um but i'm gonna be horrible to you now because i'm gonna make you do another jingle for another the next jingle. section which is okay another jingle it's questions from the web so i i went on twitter and i asked people to tweet in some questions for you so it's the section is called questions from the web off you go oh okay um Questions from the <laughs> web.
1: Questions from the web. Questions, questions, questions from the web. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I joined the, the wind instrument there. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what that was. Hashtag improv. <laughs> Hashtag.
2: Improb. Well, there you go. So one of the questions somebody's asked, Sarah has asked a very important question. She asks, okay. How does a classically trained pianist end up working with mischief? And I'd ask, and why are you still doing it?
1: <laughs> the answer to that question is by accident. Um, <laughs> so um it's quite a wiggly road. Um essentially cutting a longish story short. Um I ended up playing for contemporary dance classes when I first started at university because as a teenage composer, um, a younger dance company had seen that I was a pianist and I used to dance quite a lot. So they'd said, oh, we could train her up to improvise for dance classes. So Mm. that's what I was doing in my first and second years. So that's where I started improvising, which ended up with... um, Pippa Evans who's in Showstopper um Mm. she was two years ahead of me at school as it happens and uh was head girl of course she was um and (laughs) and I love uh, her she's wonderful uh and we Mm. bumped into each other on a weird busking project and she from then on sort of started suggesting that I should come and give Showstopper a try and um I sort of, I, I would say yes, but also sort of avoided it because it's so, at that point I was, I'd only really been playing classical music even though I was really into everything else in my listening um, and I wasn't a comfortable improviser. Uh, but eventually I said yes to coming, going to her house and making up some songs. And then because she is the world's most efficient human being, um uh, when she decided that 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 it, that it was good enough she sent off a load of emails while i was there and i she sort of set up a couple of improv gigs for me so that's how i got into the improv world i eventually went along to showstopper uh, and they didn't fire me <laughs> basically and that's that's wow. the connection to improv and then to mischief so i don't exactly know i still don't know why mischief asked me particularly to come along that is I think it was because uh so we we work with loads of
2: pianists now particularly but at that point um the guys who we'd worked with in Christmas couldn't come on the tour and we were looking for some more musicians and so we asked Adam Megiddo for recommendations so you're right Uh, it really is a sort of recommendation business isn't it we all recommend our friends and people we know and uh and yeah he brought you in and you you're really good at it I mean Obviously, I'm not in Showstopper. I could never be in Showstopper, but for us, uh, it, you're partic- I don't know what you like for them, but particularly good, I think. And you, you, you know, we're always really lucky with the with the musicians we have. Um, but it's always it feels like you're not just sort of accompanying; you're playing with us.
1: I yeah. You know, I know, you're I, an
2: improviser I, as well.
1: Thank you. And as I've said to you, Charlie, many a time, I absolutely love playing with mischief so my answer to why I'm still there is because I want to be and I would always come back when asked there's it's so playful and fast and it's what improv is for in my opinion which is Mm. um making stuff that never would have happened without Mm. without it being improv so um if you've seen a movie night show most of that would not be written down uh, <laughs> on purpose <laughs> but uh the way stuff comes together and then the, the, like the the way a story develops is not how you would plan one but because it's being made in the moment the structure of it and the shape of it works without it having to mm. have some uh very polished sort of overarching form and I really love that about mischief and I love that anything is everyone's game for anything and for mm. trying anything and for yes anding. So it's really freeing in terms yeah. of offering stuff. Um, and I think it makes it really easy to be front footed and, and sort of offer up in a really uh, like literal sense of how about this thing? I have no yeah. idea where it goes. Do you want it? Um, and yeah. knowing that because no one has you know that i think the more people no one has the answer a way... so it's yeah, like oh, i've more... got
2: this bit and then you add and then i'll add a bit and you add a bit and no one person is in control of it
1: yeah i love that and i love that there's no there, there i don't think there should be right answers because i'm sure mm. you could write i'm sure you could write right answers better yeah um, so you i wouldn't love... improvise it would you <laughs> no no so i love the chaos of it And I love how welcoming that vibe is. And I suppose that's what I mean about the, um, the, that tour feeling quite intimate in that I did come in partway through when everything was all running and I'm a little bit face blind. So everybody looked the same to me. (laughs) Uh, uh, didn't know who anyone was. And then to go and do a show and feel safe and welcome and, uh, just be able to offer up stuff with silly sounds and watch the cause and effect of that. Um, I suppose, yeah, I felt professionally really welcome, which made me feel socially very welcome. Oh. Well, the uh,
2: the Flamister asks about what you find most rewarding. So um, clearly you sort of stated what you find rewarding about playing for an improv show, but also mm. what do you find challenging? Is there anything that is a particular challenge when you um improvise music for mischief movie night, for example?
1: Yes. Um I suppose the flip side of everything I've said, if you don't feel locked in, if you're a bit too much in your head or thinking backwards, like if if you've done something you don't particularly like, um, which I have to say because everything is a yes in mischief. It doesn't happen very often where I feel like, oh, there was something I should have done there and I didn't do it. Um Mm. that can make you lose connection and because it's so fast and because everyone is so tightly connected and so many of those players work together so often, it can be quite Mm. hard to regain your footing. Um, I suppose something else that's quite hard is uh, sometimes if, um, if there isn't like if there's a moment of not connection on stage it's this knowledge that Mm -hmm. you have this enormous power to unite everyone with a really strong musical gesture Mm -hmm. and that can go one Mm -hmm. of two ways so that can be challenging of just oh god no I've got nothing either (laughs) but what's really nice is because there's two (laughs) of us there's you're never lonely in thinking um Like, it's never just you left there going, I've got nothing. It's obviously worse if two of you are sitting there going, I've got nothing. But you feel less of an Mm. idiot. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so So like it's not just me. (laughs) Yeah, there's plenty that's challenging. There's not that much that would ever make me feel miserable. Purely, like, partly because of the setup. (laughs) Yeah. I'm
2: glad. Um, And Daisy asks, what the best moment... Has been that you've accompanied for mischief movie night? Is there, is there anything you can remember off the top of your head?
1: I can, but I I wasn't particularly involved. It was the first time I encountered the whole rewind pause business, and I absolutely oh, yeah. loved it. So I'm not sure this is a particular <laughs> sort of musical question uh, or answer, but definitely that um, finding that same that spot that you just want to see and holding it there is just an amazing thing. And yeah, I suppose cutaways. um, There was Mm -hmm. something kind of recently on the most more recent tour where I can't remember exactly what was happening, but it was essentially a load of flashbacks or cutaways to, uh, to give each of the characters a bit of context. And it just felt like a bit of a pat on the back for, the two of us where we did some really nerdy stuff of incorporating motifs like character motifs of like oh this is your bit and that person played that thing earlier um and so we'll have a bit of a reprise of that and now we've cut back we're back to this character with this sound so we were just having our own little nerd party in the corner of like sort of giving each other nods of recognition um <laughs> I can't even remember who the characters were it was almost sort of by face of like oh that's your bit that is your little musical motif um Yeah, that was very satisfying. (laughs) Oh,
2: and it it brings so much to the show as well. It really, really does. Um, And then we've got a couple more. So um, Stephen and Bethany both ask, like, well, no, do they ask similar questions? I don't know. Yeah, sort of. So Stephen asks who you would rate as the best composer of classical music and who you enjoy playing and listening to. And Bethany also asks what your favourite classical piece is um so sort of yeah what's your who's your fave
1: I can answer my favorite most easily I love Debussy I love playing Debussy I mm. love the um the layers of sounds and so a picture is just made and it exists so uh I love the challenge of taking a machine like the piano and trying to make things sound muffled or ring out or sustained and trying to make sort of different bits of musical material sound different from each other when you're just hitting strings Mm -hmm. with hammers. Um, And I think there's something I like about general Impressionist music, but uh, where, especially sort of melancholy Impressionist music. So there's a piece by Ravel um, called Mm -hmm. Miroir, Uh, that's a sort of set of pieces called Miroir, and there's one called uh, The Valley of the Bells. And it's just got this really... It's basically layers of bells ringing over the top of each other. So there are some fast ones and some big, beefy bass bells. Uh, But there's this really heavy sense of ennui, which is sort Mm. of... uh, I love that stuff. Uh, In terms of best composer, I really don't know, because I think it's... um, It's so personal. And so with all of that, I've missed out the people that are perkier and more playful. Like staying with French, there's um, loads of Poulank that is so perky. It's not all perky, uh, but there are some people who that will speak to you better or all of those people who are writing stuff that is, I'm upset and I want you to know, uh, which is definitely, (laughs) you know, uh, and it's wonderful to play. Sometimes, um, like in the way that Rachmaninoff really speaks to me when I'm in that mood, I am um, not. I wouldn't ever call him the best composer because he has amazing ideas that are beautifully written, tagged together with some pointless, pointless bridges and then next great idea. So <laughs> I don't know. Um, I don't know if I could say best composer. Um, well, that's all right. Yeah. <laughs> I think fig- oh, I'll forgive you for that
2: no no that's that was an incredible answer Um Bethany also asks who you use or what you use for inspiration when you are composing
1: um lots of different things um I would use I love using uh the players I'm writing for so thinking of their sounds that's really helpful mm. um but other than that I mean I try and I was going to say look at the news, but I'm not doing that at the moment. Um, I would kind Mm. of look anywhere um, and I would try and get, even if it's a word of a title on a page and then make some notes that reflect that and then actually retitle it. I do that quite a lot. So um, I will write a title and then try and write the piece for the title and then go actually... uh, that title doesn't fit anymore and then change the title and then carry on with the piece and go backwards and forwards like that. And then the, um, once the titles change, that will give me new inspiration. Um, mm, and once i just...
2: about that. no, sorry, you, you finished. No,
1: I was going to say once I've got off the blank page, things get much easier. Um, so it's just trying to make myself write down any old nonsense that I can then change. Uh, that's the, that's the most challenging bit. So I will try anything. Um, whether it be sort of trying to write out a drum groove across instruments and seeing which bits I like and deleting the rest or, yeah, I will do anything. But, yeah, words for me really help.
2: Well, that's amazing because I think you've said it. It's that you can edit. And I've heard writers talk about this. And I think it's Neil Gaiman says, you know, you can't edit a blank page. No. Write something down. It doesn't have to be genius. Just write it down because that in itself will now be, well, I liked that bit and I didn't like that bit. And you start Mm. to create a little uh, path and a little bit more
1: structure and then it might actually become a bit easier. But just get something down and don't be too
2: hard on yourself.
1: And the thing I forget, actually, is that even in that, there's a bit of pressure of like, oh, God, some of this has to be brilliant. So I keep it. It doesn't. You can delete all of it. It can all be awful. You just have to get something down and go, no, that's terrible. Start again. That's, you know, there's, you're not tied to it. I mean, I think that's what's really different with improv and composing in that Mm. you start something and it's there, it exists, it happened. Uh, Whereas in composing, (laughs) no one needs to know. You could write out, you know what, I'm going to write out twinkle, twinkle, little star, but I'm going to change four notes to random flats and you could go, well, that was a terrible idea. Delete it. No one will know. <laughs> and, and nobody actually,
2: knows. No, no. No.
1: And your brain might be more game to try something else and try something else. So, yeah, yeah I'd recommend doing oh, thank whatever you, so you can. You're welcome.
2: <laughs> <laughs> okay. We are running. Uh, we've been chatting so much. We're running out of time slightly, but this is fine because we're going on to the quick fire round. Ooh, so, uh, I, oh, and also I need you to improvise a quick fire jingle. Can you okay. do that? Three seconds.
1: Yeah. Three seconds. I've got more than that. (laughs) Okay, here it comes. (laughs) Quick fire! (laughs) Perfect. Okay, so I am going
2: to ask you a bunch of questions and you've got to try and answer them as quickly as possible. Okay. Are
1: you ready? Here we go. Yeah. Uh, What's your favourite colour? Green. Yeah,
2: I knew that. If you were an animal, what would you be? Goose. Goose!
1: <laughs> I did not expect that. Sorry. Uh,
2: what's your ideal holiday destination?
1: Uh, sunshine. Can I say that? The
2: sun. Mm, sure. <laughs> the sun. I would like to go to the sun, please. <laughs> Two weeks. All inclusive. If you were to describe yourself as a dessert, what would you be?
1: Oh, um... A Ferrero Rocher. Can I have one of those? My God, they're my favourite.
2: Yes. Crunchy, smooth, everything.
1: Yeah, soft on the inside. A bit knobbly on the outside. A bit nutty, mate. Is a Jaffa (laughs) cake a
2: cake or a biscuit? A biscuit. Sure. What's your favourite musical?
1: Uh, Jesus Christ Superstar. No, really? (laughs) I'm sorry, yeah. Really? yeah okay <laughs>
2: interesting do you know what i am um, I, oh gosh i've not got long but we were in i we were in all in lockdown but i went for a walk and i could hear it wasn't like proper lockdown i could hear the jesus christ superstar um production at the regent's park open air theater oh, wow. i could just hear it like in a matinee and it filled me with so much joy to just hear some people singing and some people playing music in theater it was incredible okay shut up charlie if you were one of the 52 cards which one would you be i would be the jack of spades cute you so would left or right
1: left right or wrong Oh right I'm sorry. That's okay. What is your favorite film? Um oh Mulholland
2: Drive. Interesting. You're very arty. That's really very cool. Do you play video games? If so, what is your favorite video game?
1: Yes, I play video games. Um I've just started Shadow of the Colossus. Is it good? Yes, it's quite bleak, but it's good. <laughs> it's got a great story. And finally story. <laughs> Oh, really?
2: Okay, cool. Shadow of the Colossus. Recommendation. Yeah. And uh, finally, who would be the best mischief person to be trapped on a desert
1: island with? Oh, uh, can I say Josh because he's a doctor? You absolutely <laughs> can, Dr. Josh. I am Very smart. Yeah, answer. Dr. I'm Josh.
2: I'm a little disappointed you didn't say me, but I will let <laughs> um, Excellent. Before we wrap up, do you have any top TV recommendations or radio or
1: maybe even computer games that you'd recommend people uh, enjoy? Um, I, over these weird months, have been re-indulging in Star Trek and there's something so, uh, I found something so peaceful about, especially Next Generation, um, about Mm -hmm. the really simple way that it addresses morals and yes, there are tangles but it comes from just a really comforting place and there's something about it being set in the future where it seems like they've worked through so much of the nonsense of just this is how we do it now this is the place we're coming from which just makes me exhale a bit so I would recommend having a watch of those either for the first time or for the nth time
2: oh thank you so much
1: um thank you so much Ashani, for coming on this has been really fun Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been lovely. And I would have you on My Desert Island. Of course I would. But I get
2: it. You need Josh first and then you can speak me on. Uh, But we both need a doctor. That's fair enough. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Wonderful. Thanks for... Well, there you go. You just made me go all... Tongue-tied now. Wonderful. Thanks very much for listening. I have been, and still am, Charlie Russell, talking to Ishani Perinpanayagam. Do keep an eye out for the next episode. You can follow all the latest in the mischief world on Twitter, at Mischief Comedy. Thank you for listening, and keep making mischief. There we go. Oh, I'll pause. Oh, no. It's still recording. No!